There was also a documentary about, I think it was called Cheating Death, and I like watching these documentaries because there's a lot in science that we don't know about health and nutrition, and I find that really fascinating. But on top of that, you know, there's a lot of, like, pseudoscience and science exploitation out there. And... <laughs> I, I love the word science exploitation. Um, but, well, you know, it's true. It's like, uh, you know, people try to tell you that, like, oh, you know, you can charge the magnets in your soul by standing outside and drinking this liquid crystal drink. You know, it's fucking, like, they use science words and science yeah. descriptions and they show you studies, but it's not real science, so... I must um, say, my dad is a geologist, um, and when we were growing up, we would go hiking, and we would always be like, look at this pretty rock, and he'd be like, oh, that's just pyrite, it's fool's gold, it's worthless, or like, he would always be like, oh, we'd be like, look, we found a crystal, and he's like, yeah, but it's not a very good crystal, and he's like, crystals are pretty much <laughs> trash rocks, and like, so now when people are like, this crystal, like, cleanses your chakra or soul berries or whatever, I'm always like, crystals are trash rocks. <laughs> and your soul is trash. <laughs> I mean, my soul is trash. We've had this discussion before that I think I was visiting you in Austin, and I was like, I want to get a tattoo, like a desert tattoo, and... I think I'm going to get a century plant. Like they live forever and they're so hardy and beautiful. And you were just like, mm hmm. And then we were like walking through a parking lot or something. And I was like, I'm not a century plant. I'm a grackle. Like um, I have a grackle heart, which for those of you who don't know, grackles are like these, they look like the sparrows that you see in normal parking lots. But if you they're gave them wild blackbirds, yes, if you just stretched them out so they looked half dead and then dipped them in tar, like that's a grackle. It's just this gross trash bird that walks around screaming. <laughs> that's what I am scary. in my soul. And if anyone's wondering, I didn't get a tattoo of a grackle or a century plant. I got a tattoo of a coyote, which is also kind of a trash animal. I feel like every time I hear more about your dad, I think we would be friends. Because first off, I almost majored in geology. I really wanted to be a geologist. But then I was like, man, there's probably no jobs in geology anywhere. Because, you know, to remind everyone, I was graduating. I graduated my undergraduate uh, university 2008. So, you know. The world was imploding. Yeah, really bad time. <laughs> well, and you were in, uh, did you get your undergrad in North Carolina? In North Carolina. So just yeah. add to the fact that I was in the South. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the West. Uh, I grew up in Nevada, and uh, there's like, in t there are colleges that have whole schools of mines. Like the school I went to had the Mackey School of Mines which was a college, like the College of Liberal Arts or the College of Science and then the, the College of Mines um, because there's so much mining in the West. So you were just geographically impaired. Gosh, I should have I should have went to school there. Yeah. I've I given up on my dream. No, I have all these rocks, though. I have a huge rock collection. Oh. I have some rock books. And I, I like volcanoes. I think volcanoes are cool. So. Yeah, you did an episode about that. My brother works in the field now and... He uh he brings some interesting rocks back. I'll have to uh ask him to donate one to you. Emily's brother. Please give me a cool rock. It would 
bring me so much joy in my life. I did force my brother to follow us on Instagram, but I don't know if he listens. This will be an interesting test. (laughs) Clint, you have to leave that part in. Yeah. Jennifer, um, aside from how much you should have been born into my family, um, do you have another story that will terrify me? Well, I think first we should let everybody know that this is all things terror. Oh, yeah, shit. Hello. This is for sure all things terror. Yeah, I double-checked. It is. um, It's a podcast where we tell you stories from... History, science, true crime, current events, our own terrible, sad lives, um, things that are terrifying to you and us. Also, it's 2019, and it terrifies me that we still have not gone on a cheese vacation. A cheese, I know. It's, well, we're going to see each other soon. I think right around when this episode will come out, you and I will actually be in the same place at the same time, March but also, May will be, like, our recording anniversary, so maybe we'll have to plan some sort of cheese celebration. A cheese-a-palooza, if you will. We can come up with a list of cheeses that we have to go out and buy, and then we consume those cheeses on Skype or something while talking shit about something. Yeah, maybe we'll invite the listeners to join us. Would you guys want to join a live eating of cheese? <laughs> Oh, that'd be amazing. A Skype cheese vacation. I you know, that. there's someone out there somewhere who's like getting a boner just thinking about two girls eating cheese live on a webcam. <laughs> if that is your fantasy, please don't post that on our Instagram. <laughs> no, but, you know, please feel free to do you with consenting and adults who are aware that that's what you're doing with their cheese fantasies. Well, Cheese Fantasy is a good segue. Mm, Good band name, too. Yes, Cheese Fantasy. 80s cover band. Emily, I would like you to describe to me the 1980s. Oh, I love how I said 80s cover band. Perfect. So You're welcome. (laughs) I was a very small child, but I will say the 80s, I'm picturing both day glow neon colors and also pastels. Very big hair, white jackets on men, like blazers, cocaine, hair metal, the AIDS crisis, uh, fucking Ronald Reagan, who I hate. Um, Everybody wants to be wealthy. It feels like a very Republican time for some reason. Uh, No internet, giant phones. Uh, am I missing anything else? L.A. hair gel. (laughs) Oh, yeah, L.A. hair gel. Los Angeles feels very 80s for some reason. Um, Oh, yeah, all of California, just California's 80s. Very, a lot of plastic for some reason. I'm just feeling like plastic is a thing. Large jewelry. Roller skates. Roller skates. Sexual harassment is still happening. Shoulder pads. Oh, shoulder pads. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. I I kind of wish that would make a comeback because I feel like it would be very flattering on my body type. Well, let's pause there because you brought up 
you brought up Reagan. Um, what can you tell everybody about McCarthyism? Oh, so in the 1950s, for reasons that I still don't understand, even though I read a lot of history, the U.S. became very frightened about communism, and McCarthy was a senator who was like, yo, there are communists in America, and so let's destroy their lives. And he started interrogating people about their beliefs and their activities under the House Un-American Activities Commission, Act. And basically, like, if you were found to have gone to a meeting about communism in college or said that you had sympathy for, you know, Russia, which was still communist, so it was still the USSR at the time, or or anything even that small, you would get blacklisted and publicly labeled a communist, and there would be all these disincentives to work with you. And he seemed like a real dick. And did anyone go to prison for being a communist? I want to say... No, I did not learn that, but I feel like the answer is something scary that I don't understand yet. <laughs> I'm very we'll afraid leave- to answer that question. I want to say no. <laughs> we'll, we'll just leave it there then. Oh, God. So I asked you to describe the 80s. I asked you to talk a little bit about your knowledge of McCarthyism, which, by the way, I feel like you deserve a round of applause because we never planned these things, and that was a lot <laughs> off the top of your head. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I am an extrovert, so I will just talk and talk and talk until there's nothing to talk about. So that really was just like everything in my brain is like, dump it out. <laughs> well, Miss Dump It Out. Hashtag dump it out. That's that's our motto for this episode and maybe life. Listen, when you've got a lot of things going on, just dump it out. Just throw just it all it out. out there. <laughs> yeah, just dump it out. Well, what do the 1980s through part of the 90s and McCarthyism have in common. The Reagan, among many others, continued the work of McCarthyism, but this time, fucking up South America. Sure, that that's true, but... Um, <laughs> You're like, but also wrong. <laughs> not where I was going. I can't argue with that, that is true, but McCarthyism was a form of mass hysteria, right? <gasps> oh, ooh la la, yeah, people were really afraid about this for no reason. And there are lots of other incidences of mass hysteria in history. Can you name any of them? The Salem Witch Trials? The Salem Witch Trials? What else? Um, that's it. <laughs> okay. No, it's fair. And I've been, I've been dying to talk about just mentioning this for a period of time now, but I haven't had the opportunity, which is, you know, there was, have you ever heard of the Dancing Plague? Oh, yeah, I have heard of that. So I forget precisely what year that is, but it's the Dancing Plague of blah, blah, blah year. And I'm literally flipping through my journal trying to find the year. You know what? I think the dollop did an episode on this, which I think is like the 100th time that I've said that. I think the dollop did an episode about this. Emily's not allowed to watch the dollop or listen to the dollop or anything dollop for two weeks. No, Gareth Reynolds is my podcast crush. Okay, podcast crush person. Do you remember the date? Please, write into us right now, Gareth Reynolds. Why are you not answering us? <laughs> the Dancing Plague of 1518 was basically a epidemic that took place in some part of France where 
a woman walked out and started dancing and it wasn't like vibrating or like convulsing like like legitimately dancing and eventually around 400 people started dancing with her yeah she was straight up twerking in the street yep twerking in the street this length of time was about a month and people had collapsed from fatigue um people have died apparently there are some people that died of heart attack stroke just being tired of fucking dancing because the dance moves were terrible just like in hocus pocus when she dooms the parents to dance until they die yes very much like that (laughs) a a true a true documentary (laughs) a true documentary um this happened in july of 1518 400 people in this little tiny place in france just danced and there's no real explanation as to why some people said it was like oh it was food poisoning and because it was food poisoning there was like a psychoactive drug or toxin that made people like dance yeah ergot poisoning or something yep another thing was oh yeah in the was it ergot ergotamine from the ergot fungus right yeah yeah the fungus gets on like the wheat or something um and it's like a neurotoxin but i think when i've heard it it's like you would have to eat so much of it that or something i don't know yeah it's supposed to be basically like lsd and people tried to attribute the same fungus i think to the salem witch trials as well oh interesting i don't think i knew that so people say you know psychoactive drug toxin thing in brain but there's another theory about it which was like basically it was an example of mass hysteria caused by psycho- psychological stress because this is during the Roman Empire. Not a great time to live, guys. <laughs> well, it was if you were Roman. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, I mean, these are people, this area was, like, just really susceptible to a high amount of starvation and disease. Um, people were extremely superstitious, and then on top of that, they were kind of French people during the Holy Roman Empire. They don't have great stories. No. So, uh, dancing plague, potentially a mass hysteria. Salem witch trials, potentially has a uh, mass hysteria. McCarthyism, definitely mass hysteria. Satanic panic of the <gasps> 1980s. Oh shit, how did I not see this coming? I was like, what possible thing? Satanic panic! Ah! I'm so excited. <laughs> so, let's talk about satanic panic. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I left this out of my recap of the 80s. Poor BB <laughs> Satan, I love you. I'm sorry I forgot. Well, let's, um, let's just talk about it on the surface level like satanic panic basically was in the 1980s people believe that there was a real battle between good versus evil literal angels and demons and devil worshipers yeah like satan was going around like recruiting followers like like mormons and jehovah's witnesses like they thought there were actual like satans out there being like give me your child and i'm gonna eat him Exactly. And it's very interesting because there's a lot of things that led up to the satanic panic. And I want to talk about those, but I want to talk about like basically three, 
I don't want to say iconic because it's going to be a terrible word once I... Notorious. Notorious elements of the Satanic Panic. Um, heavy metal attacked for Satanic Panic. Yeah, heavy metal. Horror movies attacked for Satanic Panic. Yeah, Fantasy. Gate- gateway games. to the devil. Yeah. Yes. These things were under attack. And you might be sitting there going, well, that's... I mean, people make fun of that shit all the time. What's the big deal? Well, there were huge implications for this. So I want to backtrack. Well, listen, Jennifer, we've all seen Stranger Things, and we know that that's based on true events. Yes. Stranger Things, Satanic Panic. (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons leads to opening a portal between real worlds. Well, let me me backtrack a little bit. So what... You really got to look at what led up to the 1980s and what laid the foundation for people to believe that, like, there were huge ritual satanic groups. 1966, Anton LaVey founds the Church of Satan in San Francisco, California. In 1967, John Raymond, who is a journalist, and Judith Case, who is, you know, a, a socialite. She's the Kim Kardashian of her time. Oh, they have a wedding ceremony. They get married, and it is performed oh, good for them. by the Church of Satan. Aw, I didn't know Satan did that. Yes, and not only was it performed by the Church of Satan, but it was highly publicized. Jennifer, when you got married, did you get married in the Church of Satan? No, I got married in the Church of Just Hurry Up and Let Me Sign This Paperwork. <laughs> ah, fair. They do say the devil's in the details. <laughs> and Indeed. It's a contract nonetheless. <laughs> so, 1968, uh, Rosemary Baby, Ro- Rosemary's Baby comes out. Oh, I love that movie. 19- One of the few classic horror movies I have actually seen. 1969, Anton LaVey publishes The Satanic Bible. Now, this is just stuff really d- directly related to demonology and also Satanism, but a couple other things that are important to understand. In the 1980s, these things were also happening, which was there was an understanding and an appearance of the child abuse industry. (laughs) They incorporated the child abuse LLC. Yep. PTSD was now like a real idea in people's minds. They were understanding that if you go through something traumatic, you might experience something like this, you know. It only took Vietnam and several years after that to figure that shit out. Yeah. It doesn't just go away. Exactly. Both parents are starting to work now in the 1980s. So this is dual income families and daycares are becoming like a real thing. That's not something that existed before. You know, the 70s saw the rise of cults and cultism. So you saw (laughs) the Manson murders in 1969. Of course, all that stuff I told you about. Anton LaVey, the Church of Satan, that wedding ceremony. You have the, in 1971, The Exorcist is published, the book. You have Rosemary's mm. Baby, the movie. In the 60s. It was in, it was in the culture. Exactly. The 80s also saw the rise of fundamentalist Christian right. Oh, lovely. Um, in, the sevi- in the 70s, uh, you saw things like the Zodiac Killer, the alphabetic ki- uh, Alphabet Killer, which both require, like, had some ritualistic 
patterns and there were symbols in their murders. You had Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, the son of Sam. 1980s, stranger danger became a thing. There was a huge population growth. People were afraid of it. They were afraid of urbanization. And then on top of that, both parents were away working. You had the AIDS epidemic. Kidnapped children were becoming a real thing. And this is like where we get the trope of like the picture of the kid on the milk carton. And then, of course, the trick or treat, like death candy myth, that came from 1980s. Yeah, I. Were we the ones that. No, I think I heard on another podcast talking about that. So the 80s had a lot of things happening, and it was building off this history of like we had serial killers, we had cults. Uh, we saw occultism in the 70s and the 60s. You know, there's sort of like this dispiritedness in this in the 70s because in the 60s, you know, there's this prob- this promise of like high spiritual elevation and free love and like a government that's not going to try to murder your face in. And in the 50s, there's a sense that, you know, this was a wholesome period of time. Right. We survived the world wars. We survived the depression. Everything's fine. Exactly. So... Yeah. 80s became a, 80s actually was filled with a lot of fear so it's easy to laugh at these people being afraid of horror movies and heavy metal and fantasy games but there are real consequences to this fear i want to talk about some of these things i'm going to start with heavy metal being under attack there's this home in ohio that ends up being raided by police the police believe this is a cult home so satanic worshipers live in this house this is 1985 this is the year i was born ah wait you're older than me i was born in 86 yes oh i always thought we were the same age no i'm i'm the grandma i'm always the grandma well that's why that's why you're so wise (laughs) i wouldn't go that far (laughs) so um this home is raided by the police so you are normal human being emily the police come into your house and they're looking for satanistic, you know, Satan activity. Yeah. Well, they don't find anything, so you know what they do? They say I've hidden it. <laughs> they confiscate all of your rock albums. My rock albums? Oh no, but I have so many. Yes. The police literally raided somebody's house and stole all of their albums that were rock albums because. It encourages satanic activity. 1985. Oh, 1985. That's not good. So we can laugh, right? That's funny. I mean, actually, it scares me to be like, the police are like, I'm going to take this Cheeto because it encourages marijuana munchies or whatever. I'd be like, fuck you. That Cheeto encourages my internal happiness. (laughs) I'd be like, fuck you. I live in Colorado. It's legal. Everyone should get on our train because it makes lots of money so spoiler alert these are going to get more serious as i go oh no do you remember that movie mazes and monsters no i had never even heard of that movie so it's a movie mazes and monsters yes it is a movie from 19 it's from 1982 it was tom hanks's first leading role and it was adapted from a book uh by rona Jaffe, and I'll talk about why this is important in a minute. The only thing that you need to know is it's about D&D and a group of kids that go play D&D and what happens when they play D&D. Kind of. So it's basically Stranger Things, but with young Tom Hanks. Yes. 
I'm into it. Now, D&D was under attack during this period. Um, I, I watched several... Like, I watched a 2020, and I watched a bunch of news clips about how this new fantasy role-playing game encourages satanic worship in witchcraft. <laughs> and, like, I'm sorry, but listen, nerds already fucking have it hard enough throughout history. They had it really bad in the 80s, and they can't even fucking have D&D. Jennifer, listen, we can't have kids and teens using their imagination. What will come of it next? I know. Innovation? Art? Happiness? Ugh. iPhones? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're in an episode of Black Mirror! So, <laughs> I, I really want to talk about Black Mirror one day. But anyway, so here's what happened. So it's, it's funny to laugh at this, right? Like, this board game encourages satanic worship because they're fantasy characters and I don't fucking understand any of these names and why my children want to play these games. So clearly Satan. It's like, sit sit down, Aunt Brenda. It's not Satan. So this is why, again, these things have real consequences, right? So James Dallas Egbert III oh my. is a teenager. He was about 15 or 16 when he was sent off to university. Gross. He was majoring in computer science, as you can imagine. He was a very, very smart kid. Also, clearly, a nerd. Right. The family hired a, a private investigator named William Deere to look into his, his disappearance. So, when William Deere went into, his, went into his dorm, he saw, like, some books, and then he saw a corkboard. Now, do you remember corkboards? Yeah, like a bulletin board. Yes. What do you put in corkboards? Pictures and like little notes from your friends and uh, homework assignments. A, yeah, to do lists. I mean, I'm a girl, so probably like cute things. I don't know. So a corkboard. Jewelry. Yes, a corkboard is just kind of like a wall-mounted paper factory <laughs> where you put your papers that you need to like kind of remember but also some cute pictures and stuff and you know as a you know it, it's also kind of like an expression of your individualism right yeah so and they were really big in the dorms when i was in college or like you'd have these little like uh whiteboards and people would like post things on it and stuff yes. yeah they're they're a bd big deal well james dallas egbert the third who is 16 years old. At college. At college. Didn't really have anything in his corkboard other than some pins. And he noticed that on one side of the corkboard, the pins were like arranged in a pattern. And he thought that the pattern was a map. Oh no. And his theory was, is that it was a map to this underground area in a building that kids would explore and he knew that kids, he thought, you know, there's not a whole lot to make him think this. Keep in mind, I've given you the evidence. He thought that Egbert had that map up and he disappeared because he went into, like, these steam tunnels to play the devil-worshipping game D&D and the secret buildings in a secret group. I mean, that would make that cop's life a lot more interesting if that were something that happened. So it's funny, right? Like, seriously, you think that 
this kid has like this is a secret map on the corkboard and the reason why it's there is because he's playing the devil game right like he's not doing whatever he wants in his own dorm anyway yeah and uh you know besides like parents wasting time and money on this private investigator you know there's not much harm done right wrong well yeah what happened to the guy so uh i'll have you know that egbert was found Mm -hmm. and he was found because william deer got like a weird phone call saying come find me or this is where i am and then they found william but or not william sorry they found egbert but here's the thing that is behind the covers now remember what the pi was focusing his investigation on the weird little map so apparently egbert had wrote a suicide letter he he actually went off to try to kill himself he failed and this is what i have off the internet so i'm trusting that is true he went to his friend's house afterwards after the suicide attempt failed he later tried to kill himself a second time Oh, no. Failed. And then I guess he moved somewhere, and after he moved there and did... Somebody... One online source says oil field worker. I don't know how much I trust that, but he went away, and then um, after a couple days, he he called the private investigator and told him where to find him. So this kid tried to kill himself twice. There was a suicide letter. And they focus their time on the D&D devil game. This makes me so sad. Like, I want to give him a hug and a cookie. Well, after a while, Egbert did successfully commit suicide. Oh, no. It's fucking 80s. Poor guy. Here's an example where mass hysteria and beliefs founded in mass hysteria have real consequences. What's interesting about D&D is after it started getting all these accusations of like promoting satanism and witchcraft is like the sales quadrupled the and also this coincided (laughs) with egbert's death which is like or egbert's disappearance which is even more sad conservative fundamentalist groups particularly accuse DD of teaching witch witchcraft demonology there's all these news reports that beginning to report that there was a string of teenage murder slash suicides and all these people had one thing in common, which is that they all play D&D. It couldn't be the fact that here's a bunch of social outcasts that aren't adjusting well to puberty in the 80s in school. I know that the 80s was really terrible for bullying. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with that. It was because they play D&D that they killed themselves. I mean, I do like that when the fundamentalists were like, this is Satan's work, people were like, all right, I'm down with that. And they went and bought it. I mean, I think you see this today still, this idea of like, if anyone bonds over something that I don't like, then that thing is stupid. And it's like, just let people like stuff. Yes. And I mean, like, they're attacking already a vulnerable group. Vulnerable group. I mean, these are teenagers. They're not people that are really high in the social popularity chain. It's very different now. Like, you can be cool and play board games, but this wasn't the case in the 80s. One of the things that I think is quite different, even when we were growing up, I mean, we had baby internet, but baby internet was enough to be able to, like, message your friend and be like, my parents are so stupid, or or find, you know, someone who's going through something that you're doing. You know, teenagers today, as much as we complain about it, but it's like, If you're having a shit time at school, you can go on Twitter or Facebook and say, I'm having a shit time at school. And you can find 
other people who have said, yeah, I did that too. And I came out on the other side, you know, there's, there's opportunities for connection that you just did not have at all. And like, if you are having a shit time at school and a shit time at home in the eighties, well, you're fucked. Well, in your community are these other people that are playing this board game, you know, these are all these right. kids that were having a hard time. And th- on top of having a hard time, the one thing that they had, like everyone's fucking shitting on and calling like devil worship. So there you go. This is why a conservative Christian fundamentalism is a big fucking frowny face. I mean, one of many. Remember Mazes and Monsters? Yeah, Tom Hanks, baby Tom Hanks. So Rona Jaffe wrote this book and she based the story off of James Dallas Egbert. Oh, wait, like so the the cops are the bad guys or something worse? No, no, no. Uh, she just she just based the book off of the story of James Dallas Egbert where like you know that that the premise is is like there's these group of kids that go into a secret tunnel to play like a fantasy game. And she's like Oh, wait, there is a real secret tunnel. Okay. I mean, kind of. There wasn't really a secret tunnel, but in the movie, there's a secret tunnel. Okay, in the tunnel. Or in the tunnel, in the movie. (laughs) So, now I want to talk about some very, very real and terrifying consequences of the satanic panic. I mean, teenagers killing themselves, very, very sad. And all of that being attributed to devil worship and satanic cults and not actually to the real problems of being a teenager and also being an outsider. That's sad. But. Yeah. Emily, do you know what recovered memories are? Oh, uh, I know the story. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, fuck. <laughs> uh, but I believe that recovered memories are this idea that like when you're little or if traumatic things happen to you, your brain will block it out. And then with therapy, they can unlock it. Like your brain is a box with a little clasp on it. And this idea, now remember I gave you a whole list of like some background things that allowed the satanic panic to happen. This concept is founded a little bit on the principles of PTSD. Yeah, sure. So 1980, there's a book published called Michelle Remembers, and it's about this, I think she's a Canadian who... who Canada, get it together! <laughs> who recovers memories during hypnosis that she experienced a great deal of abuse at her family's hand because they were all in a se- secret satanic coven. Hmm. And she ended up marrying that therapist, just FYI. Uh, that makes me so uncomfortable oh my god marrying your therapist yes what the oh my god that is so unethical but anyway that is one of the most upsetting things i've heard in a long time in 1982 a woman named mary ann barber thought that her stepdaughters were being sexually abused by their father, Alvin McCurin. Eventually, the daughters accused him of doing these things. Um, The girls reported that they were forced into prostitution, pornography, and tortured. They were made to... Uh, They were made to watch snuff films, and this last part's just super uncomfortable for me, but they were also forced to 
let animals eat food out of their vaginas. What? These were the accusations laid against her father. I should also mention that anything I'm going to go through on this list has like some sort of connection to like being involved in a satanic cult. I just don't want to have to say that a thousand times. Right, so that's the underlying theme in here. I mean, the thing that no one really answers is why would Satan want these things to happen? I think in my reading of Paradise Lost, Satan just kind of wants to irritate God. He doesn't really want to hurt people. Well, this is the 1980s conception of good versus evil. Also, remember, conservative Christian fundamentalism is really forging ahead a lot of these concepts. I mean, if they're really fundamentalists, I don't think the devil is really mentioned in the Bible at all. We can have we can have the theological conversation a different day when I'm <laughs> Stop trying to bring logic in here. Stop it. <laughs> I'm trying to explain things. Damn it, Emily. Damn it, stop trying to understand this. It's bananas. There are rumors in like the early eighties to all over the country, but I'm just picking on Canada right now because I can. But in British Columbia, there are these rumors about a planned kidnapping of a newborn by Satanist for sacrifice. Ooh. Also in the early 80s, and I'm going to talk about this one a little bit more, so we're going to put a pin in the conversation about this, but Judy Johnson accuses... Ray Bucky oh, what a name. of sodomizing her children. Oh, lord. I should point out to you that Ray Bucky works for a daycare. Oh, oh, double lord. 1984, there is a Miami daycare slash preschool thing. Um, children accuse Frank Buster and his wife, and I'm going to talk about these guys a little bit more, so pen in this one too, for abusing them. Uh, Janet Reno was actually involved in this case. Oh. Also, 1984, in Richmond, Virginia, there were two children who accused family members of killing a child and eating the child during a satanic ritual. Oh, my God. All of these accusations are so intense and, like, over the top. You don't even know. We're going to get there. Oh, no. 1985, Sandra Craig, who owns a daycare, is accused of assaulting children and of creating child pornography, she's sentenced to 10 years in prison. Oh my god. 1986, James Watt is charged with multiple accounts of child abuse. There are 18 children that testified. The defense lawyers pointed out that the children initially denied being abused. He was sentenced to 165 years. <gasps> Whoa. 1985, James Rodriguez and five other people were convicted of sexual abuse of two two kids, two brothers, and it also the charges also included infanticide. And now we're just going up into the 80s. In Carson City, daycare workers were accused of abusing 14 children. The children claimed to oh witness the murder of adults drinking blood, the children drinking blood, and being involved in other satanic rituals. So, Little Rascals Daycare in North Carolina. Hey, that's... Did you go there? No, I didn't. <laughs> I forget... Oh, I went to Kittyland. Just FYI, if you ever need anything that's like the name of nightmares, <laughs> Kittyland is the daycare I went to. Yeah. I never went to daycare. I did for a short period of time. 
Um, I have mixed feelings about it, but I would say that I learned a lot about butt and penises. Yep. Butts and penises? Yep. I learned about, like, what is a good butt, and I also learned that penises are a place to target if you're dealing with a bully that is bigger than you. Oh, that's a good lesson to learn, I guess. I never thought about, you know, just attacking the penis area, but there you go. Anyways. (laughs) Actually, the Little Rascals Daycare is a pretty famous uh, ritual abuse case. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that one. That's one that you can internet on your own. Late 80s, so we're talking 1989, so we're getting close to 90s. uh, Paul Ingram was accused by his two daughters of satanic ritual abuse. So what's interesting is that Paul doesn't remember committing the crime. He's also a very religious man, so what he said is that Satan must have possessed him and repressed his memories. Oh, right, the good old Satan defense. Yes. He pleaded guilty, but then he retracted his confession because he really didn't believe that he did those things. Wow, okay. Also in 1989, two, na- two teenage girls uh, were murdered in Pennsylvania. The teenage boy that they had as a suspect was accused of doing the murder because of satanic bullshit. Yikes. So this... I didn't realize there were so many cases. There are so many cases. That is a very, very diluted list. I skipped some stuff. Oh I did not focus on all things. I picked a mish- mishmash of material. So, I'm going to come back to the repressed memories of uh, satanic ritual abuse and these accusations of ritual abuse. I'm going to talk about what in the 1980s were the characteristics of a satanic cult. Killing is always central, and it's either human or animal sacrifice, and there is always some sort of mention about abduction of newborns for sacrifice. So... I mean, listen, if you're going to sacrifice something, newborns are quite small. I I would think that Satan would prefer a a bigger sacrifice. Okay, I want to point out one thing. (laughs) That was a terrible joke? No. Sorry, I was counting as you were talking, but that was 13 items. The list is long. 13 cases. There'd be a fuck ton of dead bodies and dead newborns right yeah like if people are like i saw them kill a, a baby and then you have to match that to someone being like my baby is missing right so killing is central sexual abuse of young children it's always a thing in these satanic cults there's always consuming blood and cannibalism mm-hmm. um another trait of these satanic cults is that they're extremely organized and they're very secretive <laughs> they are so underground it's impossible to find them, apparently. I like that they're so organized, though. And the membership in this time period was assumed to be in thousands. I just want to stop because this you're going to understand why I'm angry, but this makes me so fucking angry. But, like, think about how many f- dead people we have to be talking about for an organization that is so tightly organized and secretive to have memberships in a thousand, how many fucking dead people do there have to fucking be? It's so illogical. I mean, I am obsessed with, like, missing people. Like, I really like those stories. And there are, they do find bodies that don't get identified. But, like, the problem is that if you're like, oh, well, it's these little white babies that go missing uh, for satanic purposes, then you're not looking for real crimes or working to identify real bodies. Um, or catch real murderers. Yes. 
Yes. It is immensely illogical the way these people are thinking. And the consequences are very real. So, I want to go back to the McMartin trial. I'm going to do a quick recap. Judy Johnson accuses Ray Bucky of sodomizing her two children. Yeah. Ray Bucky is accused of 208 accounts of child abuse. There are 40 children involved. And the suit was against Ray Bucky, the owners of the school, and a couple of teachers. So I'm going to go into this little detail. Um, the police investiga- investigation included examinations of children who attended the daycare. The examinations were done by a nonprofit called Children's Institute. They were ran mm. by Key McFarlane. Now, Key McFarlane, examining children for sexual abuse, what do you think her credentials are? Um, I really hope that she's a pediatrician who specializes in traumatic cases. She's an unlicensed psychotherapist who literally has no medical or psychological background. No, no, that makes me so uncomfortable. Her methods included uh, anatomically correct dolls. She examined 400 children, 350 of which were diagnosed as having been abused. She had the children draw pictures and label body parts. She had another one of the methodologies is to have the children look at pictures of other children and teachers and photos and be like, who's this a picture of? Who's this a picture of? The children had to use puppets to respond to questions. And they were highly suggestive questioning techniques. There was an example I had pulled up earlier to talk about how highly suggestive the questioning techniques were but it's really disturbing and i kind of don't want to repeat it but it's kind of went like this the therapist defines what a vagina is and then the therapist asks a couple other questions and then after a couple other questions the therapist goes you know do you think insert teacher's name could have touched someone in a secret place and the kid just holds out the puppet not knowing and then they go, well, point to a picture where what might be a secret place that so-and-so could have touched that person in. Yikes. And then the, you know, the kid with this puppet is like, I don't fucking know. And eventually he's like, well, what is a secret place? And the kid would be like, vagina. Well, where could he have touched her in a secret place? The vagina. That is how suggestive yeah, it is. Like the kid wants to give the right answer. It is so deceptive. Peggy McMartin Buckley, uh, her son Ray, her daughter Peggy Ann, and her mother, Virginia McMartin, are all involved in these accusations. So here are the children's accusations after these examinations. They accuse them of flushing them down the toilets. So flushing the children down the toilets. Wait, flushing the children entirely down the toilet? That is the accusation. That there were underground tunnels that they used to take the children to secret rituals. Uh-oh. That there were ritual sacrifices of babies. That they were able to fly, and not only could they fly, but they did fly with other witches. I mean, okay, what? <laughs> and they took the children to secret rooms to photograph them naked. Oh, uh, blah, 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 what? 
Correct. Now, of the people who were accused, I want to point out that Ray served five years of his sentence, and Peggy Ann served two years of her sentence. I'm going to get to why that's important. Now, the parent, Judy Johnson, who accused Ray of sodomizing her children, was later diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Oh my goodness. They also were able to discredit the Children's Institute, uh, Children Institute's methods, but... This trial was bananas for a couple reasons. I mean, besides, like, these fucking accusations, they actually went to trial. Ray was actually in jail. Peggy Ann was actually in jail. They spent five years, two years of their fucking life locked up over these accusations. The McMartin trial is one of the most expensive trials in the United States. Wow, really? Yes, uh, this cost California $15 million. Holy shit. Trial ran from 1987 to 1990. Remember? Whoa. How I said Ray was in jail for five years and Peggy Ann was in jail for two years? Yeah. There are zero fucking convictions. Oh my god. Zero. Wow. There is no physical evidence there was no corroboration. They, once they finally got a hold of those tapes, they realized that these children were being coerced into telling false stories. Oh, no. Imagine losing five years of your life, life for that shit. Well, not only five years of your life, but I've heard that uh, prison is not a nice place to people that, that hurt children. So, let's talk about what happened to Frank and his wife. Now... Uh, going back to my earlier little quick outline, uh, remember that Frank Fuster is the uh, man in who him and his wife were accused of abusing preschool children, and this is the case that Janet Reno was involved in. Right. So, things you should know about Frank, because it's important. Frank is a Cuban immigrant. A what immigrant? Cuban immigrant. Oh, I thought I said cumin. I was like, that is a spice, Jennifer. He is also a spice. <laughs> it's a nice savory, goes in a lot of dishes. Nice backbone spice, you know. <laughs> Him and his wife were accused of molesting children in their babysitting service. So they ran a babysitting thing outside of their house or outside of their house from within their home. <laughs> they're like all right kids run around the yard so this is the thing i was confused about like they were accused of they were i guess they were taking a trial for eight but they they think their total amount of victims uh were 20 i don't know if it was a statute of limitations thing or whatever but well sometimes they'll sometimes they'll like if i murder 20 people they'll just try me for like two or three if it's going to be attached to a life sentence because trials are really expensive and time-consuming and, and this way the prosecution can build a good case. And then, like, if I get parole, well, then I can be retried for one of the other cases. So it, it just might have been one of those things of, like, we're only going to do this because there's evidence of this, but, you know, we know there might be more. Fair enough. So... Spoken as a non-lawyer, <laughs> I've just seen a lot of law and order. <laughs> we do science and legal services on our, <laughs> on our po podcast. So um, Janet Reno prosecuted the case. 
things you should know about this case. There's no physical evidence. It had the same attributes as a lot of these other satanic ritual abuse trials or accusations. The children made wild claims of satanic rituals being involved. And all of their claims happened after the interviews were conducted. So, Mm. meaning that these were probably highly questionable types of interviews filled with suggestive questions and that kind of thing. Now, Frank did have a record. Uh, However, again, I'm bringing up this case because it does follow the pattern of a lot of the satanic ritual abuse cases. His wife, I think it's Yana, was sentenced to 10 years, served three of those years, and then she was deported. Oh my goodness. Frank was sentenced to 165 years, and he is still in prison. Oh, wow. Dan and Frank Keller. This is a case from Austin, Texas. Hey that's that's where you live. Yep. They ran a home daycare. They were sentenced to 48 years in prison in 1992. These are the charges. Well, basically the claims made against them, right? That they dismembered infants. Whoa. <laughs> that they abused children. They forced the children to carry bones from exhumed that were exhumed from a cemetery. Carry bones? Yep. They were accused of forcing children to drink Kool-Aid mixed with human blood. <laughs> they were accused to accused of taking children. Now remember Austin, Texas. Those of you who don't know about Austin, Texas, it's in the middle of Texas. Texas is a really big place. It's huge. It's it's absurdly big. Yes. It is three hours to the far east of Texas from Austin, so that's to the coast. It is roughly, oh gosh, six, eight hours to uh, El Paso. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, El Paso is at the south end by the border with Mexico. These two people from Austin, Texas, who ran a home daycare, were accused of taking children to Mexico to be abused by Mexican soldiers somehow in the time period. Yeah, that, that feels like they're definitely speeding the whole way at the very least. And then there was this weird one. I, I can't. So when I try to vet some of my facts, like some of it is like, yes, make sure that most of my resources are or my resources are, are credible check for biases, but also it's like seeing if I can find the same pieces of information in several different places. This is one that I found only in one source, but I'm still going to share it because it's ridiculous, but they, (laughs) the charges were forcing children to dress as pumpkins and then shooting them in the arms and legs. (laughs) I'm so sorry that I'm laughing, but that is one of the strangest sentences I've ever heard in my life. Forcing children to dress as pumpkins and then shooting them in the arms and the leg. No, this is even better because the way the sentence was written, it combined both of those things. But I don't know if like part of the child abuse was just making them dress up as pumpkins like outside of Halloween and then comma... Also, they shot their hands and feet, <laughs> arms and legs. I mean, I interpreted... Yeah, or if it's dressed like pumpkins and then start shooting them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I interpreted it to be that part of the abuse was that they were dressed as pumpkins. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to wear this Halloween costume again. And then that they were, like, 
essentially in a pumpkin in their torso and then they shot them in the arms and legs which also in my mind somehow became like a blow dart so they're just going like (laughs) and trying to like put little stickers in them i don't know it's (laughs) it's just really funny also why would satan care about pumpkins you know i don't know this is the 80s they have weird beliefs i mean everybody knows pumpkins are satan's gourd the preferred the preferred gourd or is it squash it's a it's a squash the preferred squash of satan is a pumpkin it is what is the difference between a squash and a gourd that is a google question (laughs) well yeah i mean i don't know if you remember a couple years ago baby carrots went through this big rebrand where they're like we're cool we're gonna advertise and pumpkins are really missing out on that market especially now that we found out that uh they are satan's preferred vegetable or fruit i agree whoever squash is the pr person for pumpkins needs needs to get on that shit so um all that aside the conviction was based off of two things primarily one the questionable physical evidence provided by a doctor that was a an emergency room physician and two off of children's testimony that there wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence like if children were potentially being dressed up as pumpkins and then shot <laughs> and the hands and feet arms and legs or if they were separately dressed like pumpkins and then also shot you would know if if somebody is physically or sexually abused on multiple occasions there tends to be a lot of physical evidence in this whole timeline trajectory of how they're like taking children to Mexico from this fucking daycare is just it's absurd to me. But anyways, and also I have questions like how many cemeteries were robbed during this time? Like they, <laughs> there's a lot of dumb shit here. So, well also I think you know you've like you've implied a lot of things but like these investigations are not being triggered by a child saying something or acting weird. It's adults. It's, yeah, it's like being triggered by adults just sort of, uh, that's dangerous. And then, like, it feels very much like children are fed answers or coached or coerced. So even if there isn't physical abuse or physical evidence after sexual abuse, and, you know, sometimes there's not, there's also, like, this bad timeline of what's... Felix just groaned. He's he's agreeing with me. Just just not um, originating from a place that makes sense in an investigative manner. Yes. So remember that emergency room physician I told you about? Yes, indeed. He recanted his testimony later. Oh. I mean... Good for him. That's a brave thing to do. Dan and Frank Keller were released in 2013, so they've been in prison since 1992. Oof. They served 21, 22, 23. I can't do math. They served 20-something years. Nin- 19 years? 1993 to 2013 would be 20 years, right? Yeah. Math stuff. Well, either way, they went in pre-internet, and they're coming out post-internet, so welcome to smartphones, pals. And- yeah, you gotta remember too, like people who are accused of crimes don't always get to like run around until their trial. Some people sit in jail or prison until their trial. So Oh yeah. So they spent time that they spent that long in prison for crime they didn't commit. There was another case with Gerard, Violet, and Cheryl 
Amaralt. In 1984, they were charged with molestation. Gerard served 20 out of the 40 years, and he was released on parole in 2004. Um, Violet died of cancer in 1997. Aww. Cheryl was sentenced to 20 years and released on probation in 1999. Now, I bring this one up because, again, this is another group of people that are uh, basically running a daycare. Same thing, children accusing them of satanic rituals and pornography and all this stuff. But what's fascinating is that the courts actually went back and forth about this. One of the courts said that these people should not spend another fucking day in prison and it's ridiculous. And then the next court that looked at the case took that back and it's like, nope, definitely, you know, satanic ritual abuse. These are also innocent people that, one, never were exonerated from their crimes two, spent time in prison, and uh, three, one of them died. Wow. 1989, James Tord and Brenda Williams were accused of satanic ritual abuse. Did you say 1999? 1989. Oh, I was like, what the fuck? Accused of satanic ritual abuse, uh, the accusation came from Alan Tesson. Alan Tesson ended up being sued eventually for creating false memories of satanic ritual abuse. Good for, I mean... Damn, but probably good. Due to a lot of investigation, they found out he was basically a big fraud, and he is like one of these, you know, fake therapists out there. Um, Tward, now remember, sued and also found to be a big fraud, Tward was released in 2010 at the age of 80. He was ordered to leave the country, and the media continued to accuse him of being evil and a child molester, even though, again, same sort of trial that had tentative uh, evidence and and nothing really other than child testimony and coerced, potentially coerced testimony. Yeah, and I think that this also reflects people not really understanding how the justice system works. Like, you can be under investigation and it doesn't mean you've done anything. You can be indicted and it still doesn't mean you've done anything. You know, you can be charged... Or, I mean, that's the same thing as indicted, but, you know, you can be sentenced and then it can be later overturned or, or all these different things. Like our legal system is actually like way more complex, but yeah, I mean, I think we're all rightly afraid of being accused of something because, you know, an investigation might take a year. And in that time, people are thinking you're guilty or, you know, cops are coming into your house all the time or you're under surveillance or you're in jail if you can't get or make bond. So damn, I've got two more for you. Oh my goodness. I followed this story pl- pretty closely for a long time. There, this, uh, this true crime story is pretty well known. There's lots of shows that talk about it. There's even a documentary called Paradise Loss. Do you hmm. know what I'm talking about? Nope, absolutely no idea. It's such a perfect name for documentary about this but the west memphis three. Oh yeah i i do know this story it's sad so 1993 <laughs> surprise surprise a story uh in our podcast is sad west memphis three in 1993 involves three teenagers accused and convicted of sexual assault and the murder of three young boys The motivations for this murder, they said, was because they were satanic worshippers and they had to offer a human sacrifice. That was the motive that the prosecution 
presented to the court. Sure. This case had a lot of weak evidence. There was literally no physical evidence. It was based off a hearsay and the fact that these three teenagers were goths and outsiders and people didn't really understand them. In 2011, I remember 1993, 2011, the West Memphis Three were finally released because DNA evidence exonerated them from the crime. Oh, I mean, that's good. These are still three teenagers that were in prison for a really long time. Yeah. Amanda Knox, do you know the Amanda Knox story? Uh, yeah, actually, I was <clears throat> I studied abroad in high or in college um, the spring after Amanda Knox. Not in the same area, but like my mom was like, "Oh my god, something weird happened to Amanda Knox," and I was like, "Mom, please, please relax about this." You want to do a cre- quick recap of the Amanda Knox story? Amanda Knox was studying in Northern Italy somewhere, and um, what happened? She she had a roommate and her roommate ended up murdered and in in their in the house that they shared and according to Amanda Knox she was like out with her Italian boyfriend she came home she found him murdered according to Italian police if i'm remembering right they were like no Amanda Knox and her Italian boyfriend murdered her and like had sex in the blood or something crazy. Um, One specific investigator. Yeah. and Right. And his theory was, is that Amanda Knox and her boyfriend were Satanists. Yeah. And they had some sort of weird sex r- ritual that involved the roommate. And she was murdered as a consequence of that. Yeah. And like, I just, I don't know. I know that it's like a big, people who like true crime often really like this. And I haven't done a deep dive into it. I know you can, but I do remember that one of the pieces of evidence that she did this was that her fingerprints were on the knife. And it was like, yeah, but it was a kitchen knife in the kitchen where they both lived. So, like, of course, her fingerprints were on that knife. Yes, that is called circumstantial evidence. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, yeah. So it's and the reason why he believed this happened is because when she discovered that her roommate was murdered and they were standing outside and the police were doing their their thing she was holding on to her boyfriend and crying instead of expressing grief by not holding on to her boyfriend so basically and i i've been making fun of north america where primarily the satanic panic took place (sighs) through the 80s and early 90s but it did stretch through parts of europe and italy is already a place that that has like a reputation of just like the 80s people believing in literal angel- angels and demons so it's very catholic the pope lives in the middle of italy <laughs> the literal fucking pope lives there uh, amanda knox's ordeal didn't end in 2015 but this is again another victim the satanic panic not to be confused with manic panic which is excellent hair dye excellent satanic panic it's kind of funny, you know, to think that people believe, like, D&D was a gateway to, like, hanging out with Satan and, you know, rock music that is considerably, like, soft in in, in comparison to music today was, like, going to convert hundreds of thousands of people into satanic worship. And it's funny to think that 
people thought that satanic ritual abuse was actually happening and there's this huge underground network and that there people were literally flying with witches and all this stuff. It's funny. It's funny that that's what they were afraid of when what really was happening was that Catholic priests were actually legitimately molesting boys and covering it up. Yes, and I mean, I say that it's funny to think about these things because they sound ridiculous, but the consequences of the belief system is, I mean, it was terrible. There were a lot of innocent people that lost time, that lost their lives, whose lives we can't even begin to understand, you know, the consequences of being accused and convicted for something like that like what the rest of your life looks like even if you're exonerated yeah well and like i think one of the things um there are a lot of philosophers that i read like for work that like one really prominent philosopher was an early victim of the aids crisis and another quite a few great minds were killed by the nazis and like you know when we talk about victims of who who get their lives taken away either because they're murdered or indifference allows them to die or, you know, the criminal justice system runs them over. I mean, we're talking about their lives, but we're also talking about like their stories and their work and like, what could these people have contributed if, if this isn't what they spent all their energy doing, you know, how many more children could they have helped and cared for? You know, what, what impact, you know, when we lose people, we don't just lose people, we lose their stories as well. Well, and potentially a whole heritage, right? Oh, sure. Well, and also, you know, these people are victims, but that can't have been good for the children. Those children are also victims, and, you know, you've you've instituted this thing where children can't trust their own minds. Yeah, and I guess it bothers me because, like, so much, so much focus was placed on a fake enemy where it's like it really delayed progress in a lot of a lot of other areas like how long did it really take before we started to hear about you know suicide prevention hotlines suicide interven- uh, intervention for teenagers where people yeah. start taking bullying seriously that whole decade and some change delayed that that's true that's a really good point well and it's also this idea that it fed into this idea that the bad guy is going to look and feel and act like a bad guy. The bad guy is this Disney villain. He's not, you know, your neighbor that you trust. He's not the guy that looks just like you. And so it did also build up that wall that made it easier for real human predators to hide behind. Yep. Or, you know, the bad person can be a false prophet that parades around as a licensed therapist a child Mm -hmm. expert or a a well-meaning community that is serving as a jury and part of a prosecution in a case and and, you know the thing is is like it's so interesting because so many of these groups you know I, I know that I didn't get to talk about it as much but a lot of the people that were ended up being accused are people that were associated with day- daycares or, or hold daycares, right? Mm-hmm. Because those were like somehow the epicenters of, you know, the satanic cults. People who are out. I don't, I, I don't want children to be hurt, but I'm not, I'm not a big kid person. So the idea that uh, daycares would be the center of satanic activity, I'm like, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> not in the sense of harming children, but in the sense that children are small devils. Maybe. <laughs> We, you know, I do want to point out we did talk about children a lot for season two, but um, so far. 
But anyway, the other category of people that you see in here are people that are outsiders. Yeah. Teenage boys that are goth kids, you know, the lone American student in Italy, Cuban immigrant, single weird religious father. Like, they targeted already sort of ostracized and you know in some ways vulnerable people well and also this idea of like mothers who work instead of taking care of their kids at home right right they were working how dare they those harlots so (laughs) there was i feel like there's a lot of loss uh that we experienced because of this time period and this is something i think about with the anti-vaccine movement as well is that you know that started with one made-up study Um, saying that vaccines cause autism. And then scientists had to spend decades proving that this was bunk science and not real. So you wasted all of those science scientists time, you know, like how many psychologists had to study this to say, look, we have a, a large body of evidence that this isn't true. You know, what, what could they have been doing if they weren't doing that work? And it's 2019 and people still believe that. Yeah. Man, listen, I I think Satan would be a cool guy. Like, I think Satan would be like, man, do whatever you want. Try not to fuck shit up too much. I, uh, I think you should, you know, make choices. Satan got banished for being like, I want to do things besides just praise God. And so I think he'd be pretty chill. I, I don't I don't understand where this myth comes from. That, I mean, I do, but I don't. But like, why is Satan like, I want to put my finger in your butt? I mean, I think he'd I just think he genuinely wouldn't care what you do with your butt. Maybe you uh, maybe you use your butt to have a little dysentery. <laughs> no big deal. Now you're the one talking about poop. <laughs> the tables have turned. Season two, Jennifer talks about poop every episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily. So besides what we've discussed so far, what have you learned? I mean, I've learned that if the devil tells you to do bad stuff, Maybe don't do it, um, but also don't accuse other people of being filled with the devil's spirit. And, you know, forcing children to dress as pumpkins is a form of child abuse. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Unless it's on Halloween, then for some reason that's okay. Yeah, and make sure they want to wear that pumpkin costume. Maybe they want to be a dinosaur, you know? <laughs> Did you ever dress up as a dinosaur?
I did not. I was really into fairy princess stuff when I was really little, and then around 10, I just started going way bonkers with my Halloween costumes. Like, one year, I was a tube of toothpaste, because I just thought it would be funny. And another year, I was like, I want to be an elf. I don't know what book I read, and my mom was like, like this? And I was like, no, and I basically just looked like a plant. But I had a very <laughs> specific vision, and I followed it through... Yeah, those are my most memorable Halloween costumes. Please tell me there's a picture of you there's, as an elf slash plant. There's definitely one of the uh, tube of toothpaste. I'm, I'll, I'll hunt it down and we can, we can post on Instagram and share it with the world. And I think my brother might have been a pumpkin when he was a baby, and he was the angriest, ugliest little turd of a baby. <laughs> so well, I'll, I'll see if I can track those down for you. Were you ever a dinosaur? No, I was never a dinosaur, but I had, this will be, this will come as a real shock to you, but I had weird Halloween costumes. <laughs> like, um, one year I was a highly interpretive cat, and by highly interpretive, <laughs> I mean, it It looked like I was, like, from Cats of the Broadway <gasps> production. Awesome. Like, I had, like, a tutu and, like, a feather boa, and I had, like, this really amazing tail and all this jewelry, and I was like, I'm a motherfucking cat. You were going for the spirit of cats, <laughs> what what they think they look like in the mirror. <laughs> It's a very uh, artistic vision. Um, I was a... I was, um... I was a garage sale one year. You were a garage was, sale? <laughs> yep. I was a mummy, which I really enjoyed that costume, but it was a little terrifying because, you know, in order to do this, it wasn't just like your regular old lame mummy costume. No, no, no. My dad got these sheets, he tore them into strips, and then he stapled, like he would, like, twist the bed sheets around me and then staple it to my clothes oh my god so, that's know, amazing a little precarious yeah <laughs> delightful i love that we're talking about halloween costumes this is gonna come out in like may or june <laughs> it's never too early to start planning people <laughs> i mean it's true i do tend this is gonna be a little embarrassing but i tend to plan my halloween costumes a couple of months in advance well you got to so. if you're not gonna do like some lame store one Let's see, uh, in recent years, I went as uh, Raven as uh, from Teen Titans, and I went as a unicorn. Uh, I've been doing uh, I've been doing couples costumes oh. with my dog lately. Uh, last year, we were cheese and wine. And That was a good one. Yeah, the year before, I was a ghost, and he was a little ghostbuster. It was pretty cute. <laughs> um, so one year, I did, like, nightmare strawberry shortcake i went and got like one of those like it's a slutty uh strawberry shortcake costume yeah and then i just got like a really terrifying mask to go with it <laughs> that's the most you thing i've ever heard <laughs> all right listeners well uh i think this means we need to start planning our halloween costumes you're on notice and uh if you have any good ones share uh feel free to borrow from any of these brilliant totally not bad costume ideas that yeah. we shared with you and send us your halloween pictures we want to see your weird slash best halloween costumes please that would be amazing especially if you have a picture of you as a small child in a pumpkin costume screaming 